Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We have a guest host on. We brought Steve Hart, Dr. Steve Hart, onto the show today. You may have heard his voice in some of the previous episodes, specifically our Tilapia Species Spotlight episode. He spoke about the tilapia industry in China, but he is here to kind of co-host with us today while we have another guest. His name is Wakao Hanaoka, and he is the CEO of Seafood Legacy, who is doing some really amazing work over in Japan to increase um, sustainability initiatives in the seafood industry over in Japan. And they're making some big waves, and there's a lot of good stuff on. So Steve and Wakao-san were able to join us and talk about some of the changes and the, the adaptations that the seafood industry in Japan has taken in regard to COVID-19 and all the all the struggles that have come along with that, as well as some of the sustainability initiatives that are starting to come to light and being graciously welcomed by the, uh, by the industry and by the country. So amazing conversation. These two guys, clearly they know each other very well. They're, they're good friends. They work together pretty closely. And it was just a whole lot of fun to have um, both those guys on the show. Yeah, this was honestly one of my favorite episodes we've done because we covered so many different topics and it's so interesting to hear about this kind of sector of the seafood industry that I've never really known much about, the industry in Japan. And there's just so much interesting innovation and it seems like things are moving so rapidly there and on the sustainability front. So it's just so interesting to hear about. Yeah. I said this before we started recording this intro, but this episode just more convinced me that while we're all living in 2020, Japan is living in 2031. They just seem to figure these things out far ahead of everyone else in the world. So really, really cool to hear what's going on over there. All right. So enjoy this episode. Send us an email and write in some comments uh, or leave us a review and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So today we're doing something a little different. We haven't done this yet. But I'm really excited. We have two guests on the show, and one of them has been on the show before. His name is Mr. Steve Hart. You are, what is your title? Vice President of GAA? Is it? Yeah, Vice President of Asia Market Development. Asia but Market I, I Development. do have to correct you there, Sean. You know, it's it's Dr. Hart. You know, I spent a lot oh, of years. That's right. I was going to say. Dr. Steve Hart. Sure that's Dr. right. <laughs> I, you know, I almost made that mistake with George in the previous episode, too. But that was Sean's last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you don't want to make that mistake with George. I'm doing. I'm volunteering now. I'm not actually working for GA. <laughs> Scratch that. Get rid of it. But we brought Steve on today to be kind of a guest host because Steve, obviously, as you could tell by his title, does a lot of work over in Asia, and he has brought on Wakao. I don't know how to say your last name, so I'm going to let you go ahead and say your full name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm Wakao Hanaoka. I am a CEO of Seafood Legacy, which is a sustainable seafood consulting firm based in Tokyo, Japan. Yeah, so we're really, really grateful that uh, Wakao-san was able to join us for the show today and talk about some of the great things that Seafood Legacy is doing and some of the amazing things that are happening with the seafood industry over in Japan. 
and Steve has been very, very connected with that industry and, and some of the things that have been happening. So we're going to let you t- kind of lead the conversation, Steve, as our celebrity guest host. <laughs> but before we do that, Wakao, I want to talk about you and who you are and where you came from and kind of quick recap what your story is, how you got to where you are now, and then a little bit about Seafood Legacy and what you guys do. And, and then, Steve, it's, the floor is yours. All right. Okay. First of all, thank you for having me on this, this opportunity. Um, so, Seafood Legacy, I launched this entity like five years ago. Before that, I was in NGO society working on uh, marine conservation. But um, make change happen in Japan, I realized after working for NGOs in eight, uh, eight years that it's fastest if we can inspire, empower the business to um, drive the policy change of the, of the governmental policy change. So my objective, my purpose hasn't been changed since my previous job time, but I shift my angle of approach. So now Seafood Legacy, we work, uh, we have 10 people at this 10 staff now. We have like um, business partners, which is mainly like major retailers or major distributors, um, Japanese seafood companies, and um, support them establishing sustainable procurement policy, um, improving their sustainable procurement. Um, at the same time, work with um, local producers as well. Um, supporting them improving their um, fisheries um, and aquacultures as well. At the same time, I'm in several mem- several committees, members of the government. The Japanese government has been not um, proactive on um, making fisheries sustainable or like pro- pro- proper proper management of the fisheries for a longer time. But for these four or five years, um, they have finally started um, moving and. So I'm contributing um, to uh, in in that way as well. So Japan has really been doing a fantastic job, and I, I'm sure that you had a big part of this based on what you just told us with bringing in and and being very welcoming and accepting to some of these newer sustainability initiatives surrounding seafood. And Steve, can you give us a little kind of recap on the last? few years what you've been doing uh, with the industry over in Japan and kind of how that has related? Yeah. Um, you know, I started with GA. It's kind of interesting, Wakao-san, because you said, you know, you started Seafood Legacy five years ago. And, you know, guys, I, you know, I, I think I've been at GA longer than any of you, but it's only been five years. And Five for me, um, 2015. Five years, oh, Sean, we're, we're five-year veterans together. <laughs> yeah, except I, except I don't have a VP role. How does that work? <laughs> it's that doctor <laughs> that's what it is i need i need one of those yeah there you go uh but when i started you know my second day on the job uh wally you know he, he assigned china to me and said steve go figure out how to get you know sustainability drive going in china so we started there five years ago and you know obviously focused on that market and opened an office there and hired hired some staff and, and things are moving along pretty well. And then in uh, kind of end of 2017, beginning of 2018, uh, they asked me to start looking at other countries in Asia. And, you know, Japan just made the most sense because it's it's one of the largest seafood markets in the world and they eat a lot of seafood and it's got a very traditional seafood culture. And, uh, and on top of that, we have, you know, a colleague of ours, Mike Berthut, he 
already knew Wakao San from a you know previous chance to, to run into him and introduced us uh, via email. Uh, so it, 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 you know, we started talking and realized that there's probably some opportunity to get sustainability moving in Japan. And, and then obviously the big driver being the Olympics, you know, there were the Olympics that were supposed to be 2020, but you know, that's, uh, that's been a huge driver of this. And, you know, the Olympics, when they select their host city, part of their selection criteria is based on things like sourcing sustainable seafood. So that, you know, that's a big part of it. So we, we started uh, in January of 2018, I, I made my first trip to Japan. And uh, thanks to Wakao-san, we, we had a couple really good meetings and determined that, you know, we've got to keep going back and, and working with the market there. And, and sure enough, we've been there now for two years and things are moving rapidly. You know, to me, it's been uh, very refreshing to see a market that, you know, like you said, traditionally didn't uh, look for sustainability, but now they're adopting it pretty quickly. And I think a lot of that is credit to the work that Seafood Legacy is doing. Uh, so they've been really good partners for us. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to add that in Japan, as Steve described, Steve described it, sustainable seafood movement was not there um, uh, until, and the big opportunity, big trigger was that um, it's decided that Tokyo host the Olympic Paralympic game in 2020. Um, we, together with our aligned um, Japan-based NGOs, we succeed making all the stakeholders um, agree that making the Olympic Paralympic as a um, um, joint milestone to um, achieve a sustainability level to certain um, levels. So it was a right time that we established the seafood legacy in Tokyo. I mean, there's no like sustainable seafood specified organization uh, existing in Japan. So it was a, a good timing. And also that helped not only the government, but major like um, leading companies start working on and also like communicating about um, seafood sustainability. Yes. And also, so um, yes. Um, uh, so we, every time Steve can come to um, Japan, like our to in Tokyo, every time like our teams uh, um, become very active and happy. Um, so every time Steve comes, yes, as he said, we have a lot of good meeting, but also we find more good sushi restaurant with good sake as well. Definitely. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess I'll take along the same treatment for trip. us when we come up, uh, when we make it to Tokyo. Probably, we've got some funny year. stories about uh yeah about some of that <laughs> i'm sure maybe we'll get to some of those in a little bit <laughs> well kao did some of the um the retailers over there i know some of the big a lot of the big retailers in other parts of the world have sustainability um like requirements and and plans for sustainable sourcing was that in place with some of those larger companies like the Walmarts and some of those retailers were those in place already in Japan, but not really followed, or were they only in place in, in other parts of the world? And Japan kind of didn't have those initiatives before this whole thing started. Many major retailers in Japan have also. Uh, first of all, this movement is still very young compared with right. um, US or EU um, um, circumstances um, in Japan. So many major retailers have. Have, have established their own um, procurement policy on sustainability. Mm -hmm. Many of them have not 
uh, mentioned when to achieve hundred percent, but at least um, which time to like twenty percent, thirty percent, still a roadblock right. stage. Um, but it's 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 a big, big one step ahead compared with like um, previous time that um, they don't have anything. Also, I think in Japan it's it's a cultural thing. Um, how you see the commitment is very different in Japan. If you announce your commitment. If you don't achieve hundred percent, if you achieve only ninety percent, you will be bashed for this minus ten percent by the society. You oh, promise. You have to make the promise, otherwise you are cheater. Kind of, kind of things. So, um, oh, the, man, the U.S. could learn something from Japan. That's for sure. <laughs> so it's very difficult for um, companies or like individuals for anybody to make a um, um, stronger commitment, announce the commitment. But still, um, many retailers who haven't yet announced their commitment, they have their, they, many of them have their internal um, policies on sustainable seafood. They don't want to um, make it announced, but... Yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right, Steve, I'll, I'll hand off the floor to you if you uh, want to take the conversation yeah. wherever you want to take it, <laughs> as long as it's yeah, appropriate. I, mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, fast development in Japan, and, and we call it fast, but... You know, I think a lot of that is because of the work, the groundwork that, that you've laid there with House on with the Seafood Legacy. But, you know, obviously there's still a long way to go. You know, with the Olympics being postponed by a year, uh, do you see that changing anything or, or how do you see that impacting the work that we're doing? Postponing Tokyo Olympic, Paralympic. I think it depends on how we can, how Japan can host that event. If we can make the event as an icon of, yes, we defeat the virus and we, uh, human win and we make a new history, then that's going to be a very big success for um, next step moving event. But otherwise, it's, I think if we can hold all the event uh, next year, hold, hold all the sports, then that's that's big achievement enough already. So in terms of sustainability, I'm not sure. Inside the Olympic facility, I'm not sure how much sustainable seafood is on focus at this moment. But even um, if we don't have Tokyo Olympic this year or even next year, I think the movement has already been settled in Tokyo, in Japan, in Tokyo, especially in Tokyo. And that's more important and um, powerful, I think. In Tokyo, Osaka, or like all the um, surrounding prefecture, um, we are still in the, it's voluntary, but it's it's a lockdown stage. So we don't go out and we work remotely. Um, supermarkets are open, but all the restaurants are closed, that kind of situation. I talk with many retailers and um, domestic major distributors online. They all say that they want to, they are willing to, they are thinking of continuing um, the sustainable seafood procurement. Um, none of them saying that because of this corona, we have to deprioritize um, the sustainability. None of them are saying that. So, I, yeah, so at least it's, it's I believe that, um, yeah, this movement is continuing. Yeah, I was going to say, now is the time to make sure that you do stick to those principles because you want to make sure that coming out of it, you're, you're able to continue to produce that kind of quality seafood. And if we just get desperate and try to source from anywhere that just has seafood, then it's that's not going to work out in the long run. So though it's, it's great that they're thinking ahead and, and thinking more proactively like that. 
over there. That, that's right. And also, as I said before, uh, the companies who have already made the commitment, they have to make that. They have, yeah. <laughs> Especially if they announced it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's, I think it's time for a funny story uh, because you know, we, we've, we've been talking some serious stuff here for a while. So I think we've got to share a funny story before we get back to the serious stuff. And uh, yeah, I just, I think all the coaching I got about working in Japan from Wakao-san and, and the rest of the staff at Seafood Legacy, it was, you know, you, you have to be patient and you have to keep working and, and, and keep bringing your message because you, you don't expect the first time that you're going to have success because that's not the way, you know, Japanese culture operates. And as Wakao-san already explained to us, you know, uh, when they make a commitment, they're all in. So it takes a while for them to make that commitment. So I, yeah, they've been telling, they were telling me, they've been telling me this, and I was, you know, expecting that. And all of our meetings up to the, up to this one point, definitely were, I was seeing exactly that. And then uh, I think it was the summer of uh, 2018. It was really hot in, in Tokyo. It was probably over 100 degrees Fahrenheit every day. And, and everyone was just dying from heat. Wow. And we went out to dinner uh, a Thursday night. And there may have been a little sake involved, you know, maybe a little bit. But uh, the next day, we, we had a meeting in the morning. And it was, a, it was a meeting that wasn't even originally on the schedule. It was added at the last minute. And one of the gentlemen from Seafood Legacy rode his bike home the night before. And he got in a bike accident. And he was all bruised and cut up and bloody. And he looked terrible. And the next day, we had a meeting. And he came in with all these bandages all over him. And we sat down and we got in this meeting. And about halfway through my presentation, the, the gentleman we're meeting with just stopped me. And he's like, okay, I, I'm in. We're doing this. Now, now, how do I do it? And, you know, it just shocked me because all the coaching I had had was, you know, it takes time and you're not going to get there right away. So this, 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 I completely was caught off guard. But, you know, I, I, I took my presentation and I got forward to, to be able to get to, you know, what we do now that they're, they're going to do this. And, uh, and we move forward and, and, you know, that, that company, that gentleman is one of our biggest supporters in Japan right now. So, uh, but the funny story about that is after we left, you know, I was just in total shock. And I, I looked at uh, Daisuke, the gentleman who had been in a bike accident, and we all started joking that everyone thought I'd beat him up and that if they don't commit to sustainable seafood, I was going to beat up everybody else too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think, that, you know, we make a joke, but I think the, the, in all seriousness, that just shows the amount of work that had already been done and they were ready to commit. And it was largely mm -hmm. because of the work that you know, the folks at Seafood Legacy had already been doing with them. You know, Wakao, I think you've got a really interesting history and you talked about seafood legacy and a little bit about your days and ngo but you've also had the opportunity to live all around the world you know why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those experiences because i think that kind of shapes who you are and, and why you're you know so committed to sustainable seafood yeah yeah uh, first of all i want to um clarify that it's not me who beat up daisuke as well <laughs> <laughs> well that was, that was me <laughs> <laughs> It was really funny. The listeners can't see it, obviously, because they, they don't see our video. But as Steve was telling that story, you could see Wakao just waiting. Just he, He's holding back his laugh because he knows what's coming. And <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes. Um, thank you, Steve-san. So, yes, my background 
I was born in Japan. Both of my parents are Japanese, but I grew up in Singapore and Malaysia since when I was two and a half years old until the end of high school. Um, so um, there was a lot of beautiful oceans around surrounding me. So I was into scuba diving, snorkeling, all those activities, and I was into um, that 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 world a lot. Um, there I. So it's my high school time that I decide that I want to devote my life to uh, contribute to um, keep this beauty. I went to um, uh, my university was in US. Uh, it was in Florida, and my major was marine bio and marine environmental study. After that, I came back to Malaysia at the time and started prom aquaculture business, which is uh, intensive farming, um, intensive which is on harvest mangrove forest. That time it was not so much popular at least in Japan. So I communicate with like local people that you don't have to cut trees for your life and we can live in a better way. At that time I was very satisfied of my my what I was doing. But then I realized that many of the um, farmed prawn in Southeast Asia by um, cutting the mangrove forest has been imported to exported to Japan. Japan is the, one of the major imported um, prone consuming nations. As a Japanese, um, I feel very uncomfortable being that, that, that um, local and, and talking beautiful thing. Uh, suddenly, like, I realized that what I say as a Japanese is very shallow. So I thought I had to come back to my own country to solve my own issue first before I um, come out. That makes me decide to yeah come back to Japan. Then I went to extreme. Um, uh, Japan is very um, um, harmony-based, empathy-based um, society. Everybody want to be sane. Uh, everybody want to know what your neighbors are thinking and what neighbors are doing. If somebody is doing different than um, others, there's a saying in Japan that the nail that hung up that hammered uh, uh, down. So um, <laughs> people, nobody want to be a leader, but nobody want to uh, leave the society. Everybody has to be like in growth. Um, that's how um, Japanese society is. I thought I didn't fit to that. So I joined Greenpeace, uh, uh, Greenpeace Japan at that time uh, as an ocean campaigner. First, I was working on like anti-wearing um, tuna eel or those, but then gradually I shift my own campaign to sustainable seafood, especially your market work. So um, it's similar to what Greenpeace has been doing in the US also, um, um, like uh, releasing a ranking and use that as a uh, motivation to um, improve their uh, company's procurement policies or actually procurement. Um, yes, so that was my background. Then I realized that only sticking companies, sticking sticking targets, doesn't necessarily um, move the targets fastest, at, at least in Japan. And in Japan, I also think that I was struggling that I was fighting by myself. Nobody want to work with Greenpeace because of the, especially because of the anti-wearing campaign. I think that um, we had a not good reputation in Japan at the time. So I realized that instead of being a stick that everybody hate, everybody not reason, I think it's better that I function more as a carrot um, function 
more of a consulting um, position and help. I think I've already raised the issue. My targets have already understood what the issue was. They don't know how to move to the next stage. So um, yes, I, I decided to take the position that to help them moving step by step. So that is the secret legacy. So you, you, you got tired of being the, the only nail out <laughs> popped up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I, I've experienced that if, if my nail get up uh, above a certain level, nobody get hammered it. They give up hammered it me in. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting how we all get into this and, you know, the difference and, you know, uh, you know, difference in cultures, but still how similar we can be. You know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I uh, used to spend a lot of time in Florida with my grandparents and we'd go fishing all the time and, and they had a boat. We'd go out in the Gulf of Mexico and we'd go down to Key West every summer and do some fishing and you know, just it really ingrained in, into me a, a love for the ocean. I love the snorkel, and and you know that that kind of was my foundation. Is at it's those experiences we have in our youth that really I think shape who we are. Uh, so it's, it's you know it's it's interesting and nice to see you know friends all around the world who have, who can share in that kind of that common experience. Yeah. Um, yes. I just say I feel like a large percentage of our guests on this show have some sort of connection with the state of Florida. I don't know what that <laughs> means, but I feel like almost everyone we speak to is like, "I was born and raised in Florida," or "I used to vacation in Florida," or "I went to university in Florida." You know, like everybody has some. I'm I'm kind of nervous because I don't really have much of a connection with Florida. I'm a big Disney World fan. I love going to Disney World, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's your connection. Maybe. Uh, there you uh, go. I lived yeah, there for maybe. two years. Where? In Disney Florida? World? No, no <laughs> not in Disney World. I lived that there for one year. That big castle that you see in the middle, that, that was, he had an apartment up on the top tower there. I, I was the gargoyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I lived in Fort Myers uh, for two years and then also uh, spent some time in Sarasota and did my college internship at Moat Marine Laboratory. I was going to be oh, a marine biologist nice. and work with sharks. <laughs> nice. Yep. Weren't we all? Yep. yep. And then you realize I think I no one got a, I think I got accepted a, a, as an intern at Moat Marine Lab, but I couldn't do it for some reason. I wasn't able to commit to that to go down there for the summer. Maybe that's my connection. We'll go with that. Yeah. Well, unpaid internships are kind of hard to accept, but yeah, I was fortunate yeah. to have an aunt who lived in Sarasota, so I was able to stay with her. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you go. Yeah. So... We, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, the market and, you know, how it's uh, been accepting sustainability and moving to more sustainable practices. But, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about the impacts of, of COVID-19 and what you're seeing right now. And, and obviously our viewers aren't going to see the video, but, you know, anyone looking at the camera can see it's been quite a long time since I've had a haircut. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, me and, and Justin's beards have never been this big and bushy. Well, I, I keep shaving, but um, I just anyway, gave up on I'm everything. Kind of curious, Lukasan, <laughs> what uh, what are you seeing there in terms of you know what's happening at the market? I mean, we we get some reports out of Japan, but I think everyone's kind of curious um, what's happening in the markets around the world. Yes, first of all, I think I want to share that because of the um, voluntary lockdown, all the restaurants are closed. And as you said, Japan, we have a lot of like 
good um, seafood restaurant, like sushi restaurants and all the good restaurants. And so um, good quality, especially domestic seafood, their main um, selling channel has been those um, high-level restaurants. They are all closed down. So those coastal, small-scale um, good fishermen, they are in very much difficulties. Difficulties. On the other hand, because of the lockdown supermarket, they sell um, their, their, their sales are um, very good. And also, we see more like better quality seafood in um, supermarket during this COVID time because the fish that used to go to the restaurant now goes to the retailers. So um, I think consumers, we because we have more time in home, we we have better quality seafood on our hand. I think we we are changing our consumers are be realizing that oh um, seafood cooking seafood is um, fun and eating seafood is, is delicious. Uh, especially at home, um, together with family, that that kind of like value is, is changing. That um, not that I feel. At the same time, some articles are saying that as well. Um, the problem is that because retailers they need a big quality, so a big quantity, so that each seafood they can a fisherman can sell in much cheaper price than they sell to the um, high end restaurant. So those um, economics unbalance is still there. So this is still temporal um, temporal movement. But it's good that not only the small scale um, high end restaurant, but big scale business are uh, having more relationship with domestic fisheries because larger companies, especially their management side, um, because of the COVID nineteen, um, rather than short-term um, efficiency, they care, they start to think more about like long-term um, risk hedge and um, seafood sustainability of um, sustainable procurement of the seafood is one of that, 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 um, their scope. So in terms of domestic seafood or domestic fisheries, as I said in the beginning, um, sustainability or proper management was not there for a long, long time. And because coastal fishermen, they are very old, Many of them are very old, uh, who doesn't have next generations to inherit. And those fisheries cooperative, um, those groups are very old-minded as well. So it's very it has been difficult to make a drastic change. But um, now we see, because of the COVID, I mean, we want to utilize this COVID-19 to um, make this movement accelerated in Japan. So stock assessment, stock management, government involvement, um, those kind of things that we see are uh, bright, uh, um, bright future, and we are working on that. So have you seen a overall kind of an increase in consumption in Japan, or has it just kind of shifted? Like, I, I know seafood is a massive part of the everyday diet uh, in Japan, but does it seem that people have just shifted eating the same amount of seafood, but instead of getting they're eating more of it at home, or has there been an overall increase in seafood sales and, and seafood consumption because of people staying at home and cooking their own food and then g getting what's available at the grocery stores and having a, a larger supply at the grocery stores because it's not going to those restaurants? Is that something that you have seen, or is that not really something that you are familiar uh, with? Difficult. I don't have the data. I don't think data has existed yet, but yeah, I yeah. think 
um, how I feel. Yes, much more consumption in home, but mm -hmm. so much more what um, I think the amount of food loss in consuming area for in how home is decreased. But um, hard to say because there's so much seafood being consumed all the time over there anyway. Right, I mean, right. it's a stark contrast to what we see over here. We have seen a significant increase in seafood consumption in, in some cases, especially with things like frozen product uh, retailers and stuff. But that's because in some cases, that's what well, that's the only thing available to people and they kind of are forced to consume a, more seafood as part of their everyday diet when it's already part of your everyday diet and there's already that abundance in the stores, then, um, you know, I, I can imagine that would, be very difficult to measure like you said so it is it's very different from what we're used to so. mm -hmm. i see more variety in of the seafood in the retailer um the, the, oh, yeah. the fish. yes but i'm not sure if that covers the um restaurant consumption that used to be at restaurants part. right yeah that's the big loss so you know there's uh like you said there's a lot of restaurants and especially in tokyo that uh with all of that closed down that's a lot of seafood yes and Steve, you probably know this, but I just want to get a feel for. I don't. I don't know too much about the the marketplace uh, in Japan and and the the Japanese industry. But I I'm assuming that a lot of the seafood that is produced in Japan stays in Japan. There's a lot of domestic. Is that accurate or? Um, ninety five percent, or maybe more. Yeah, uh, ninety okay. to ninety five percent of domestic seafood is consumed in Japan. You're something. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to get a feel for that, for, wow. for the market because I am, like I said, I'm so used to. We're so used to talking wow. about the like the EU and UK markets and the US market. So it, I know it's very different, and you know we're having issues with imports and stuff like that, and and having such a large percentage of your seafood come from within country. It's just a. It's a different way of thinking about this whole conflict and and the effects that it's having. So just trying yes, to put it's it in, different, in but at the same time. As I said, 90% of um, Japan, Japan produced seafood is consumed in Japan, but that is half of our consumption. Half, the rest half of our consumption is through imported. So we have imported like, this uh, problem as well, issue as well. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, a lot of uh, the two biggest are salmon and shrimp for, mm -hmm. for aquaculture species. Mm. Coming primarily from where? Latin America? Chile. Well, for, for salmon, yeah. yeah. For salmon, yeah, and then shrimp coming from what Vietnam or yes, Southeast Asia, India, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, as I, I want to add, I forget to. Um, I think it's important to mention that um, the, even during this COVID time, many companies are continuing their um, sustainable seafood um, work. Um, I've seen now we see more, for example, certified product in retailers as well. In, in like many different brand of supermarkets. And also it's great that it's like one week ago, two weeks ago, um, one of the major um, 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 retailers are becoming the BAP endorsers, you know, right? So yeah, even during this time, it's, all, it's, it's very clearly saying right, that yeah. um, those companies, um, sustainability, they see that as not only a like short-term trend, but a, a, a like long-term work. Has there been any discussions recently on when restaurants may be able to open up in yes. the country? Um, I think Tokyo's voluntary lockdown is 
we released it within one week or two weeks or um, at least within this month. It's not decided, it's not announced, but uh, but it's rumored. And, 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 wow. Yes. So um, then gradually, um, all the businesses reopen. Yeah. Actually, this is voluntary um, lockdown. I mean, everybody, everybody is following this voluntary lockdown. So everything is closed, but this is voluntary. So wow. restaurant can open if they want to at this time as well. This is very interesting and shocking as a, as a people who live in Japan. Our company, our country leadership, country leader doesn't have a leadership. He, he or they cannot make a, cannot design what the future will be. And they, they are not sharing that to um, um, citizens. Why? But somehow we don't have a lot of like um, die people um, due to COVID-19 in Japan. And I feel that that's not because of the governmental efforts or the leadershipness, but it's more of the individual effort. As I said, people care about uh, care with each other. They want to know what your neighbors are doing. Um, it can go negative way, but it can go very much positive way as well. Uh, um, and also, I have a 12 years old son, and um, from primary school, they are in their school. They, they are forced to like clean the floor every day and, and um, they learn like how to be yeah, clean. Washing hand, goggles, um, it's a daily usual things to do. It, it's similar, it's same to um, people brush teeth. And it's not because of the COVID, that's what you do every time in, in Japan. And also, for example, we don't hug as a greet. We don't, we remove our shoes in our home. So all that kind of thing is compounded. So um, I think it's good that individuals are very strong from this kind of disaster. And it's same, I experienced the 2011 Fukushima, um, the radiation disaster and tsunami also. Um, the individuals are very strong. It's very shocking that the uh, country's leaders are very weak. <laughs> so the uh, it, it's interesting that uh, I guess to look at what's happened and where where we see everything going and now we've got um, you know it, obviously it took a while but the Olympic Games were delayed and and we followed that with you know we're delaying our goal conference until 2021 as well and you know, I think, and we announced we're gonna do a virtual goal later this year, as opposed to our, our traditional in-person goal. Are you seeing anything in Japan that, any innovations or anything new coming out of the pandemic that, you know, people are coming up with new ideas, you know, like, so today I recorded a presentation for a online trade show that uh, is gonna be happening in a couple of days. Um, so it's a whole new concept to me. I've never heard of an online trade show before, and we're taking our conference to be virtual. You know, we've heard reports of restaurants in China that were closed down. They're afraid they're going to close down. Now they completely switched their business model to delivery services or becoming logistics companies. Have you seen anything in Japan similar yet? Or is it uh, any, any new ideas or innovations that you've thought, wow, that's, that, that's cool, and that might catch on and be a new thing? Mm. 
Yes, it's not in a big scale yet, but um, more coastal fishermen are using EC site to sell their fish directly to consumers, and they are they are they are they shows that it's a you you know you can see which face that fish this fish um, the producer's face. So they don't use the word traceability, but but um, um, the value is traceability, but. Um, Japanese seafood distribution used to be, I mean, so the, like Tsukiji or Toyosu, um, they mix up all the seafood and that's their business to um, fill their um, customers' demand. So, traceability uh, uh, breaks there. But now, this new model, it's more that responsibility, traceability, that elements um, is, is selling. Is being sold as a value. That's a you know it's interesting because that's uh, we're we're hearing more and more of that all around the world, and not only traceability, but I don't know if you read the uh, Cargo puts out a quarterly report uh, called Feed for Thought, and the one that just came out earlier this week was talking about uh, it, it. Basically, it's a survey they do uh, every quarter, and they do a consumer survey. And this last one, I think it was consumers in the U.S. and Philippines, maybe. I don't remember for sure. But the questions they were asking were around um, traceability. And, and what really came out of it, especially for younger people, is they want a story with their seafood. They, they, they want you know, traceability. They want sustainability. And, and you know, the interesting thing is they want easy to prepare and different flavors convenience, but they want a story. So they want to know where their seafood's coming from. And it sounds like you're starting to see that now in Japan with your coastal fishermen selling directly to consumers as well. You think that's a trend, especially with younger Japanese that's that's catching on? Yes, yes, yes. And it's same as you described, yes, story, yeah. Yeah, we it's actually, we spoke with uh, some folks over down in Connecticut from a company called Ideal Fish, and they have this cool program that they do with their fish where they put gill tags on that have QR codes. And if you scan that QR code, it takes you the full traceability of that fish all the way back to like what tank it was in at the nursery. So you can follow this fish in its entire life stage until it made it like into that freezer case from that little gill tag, which is pretty cool. There's some really neat ideas starting to pop up uh, here and there with some of these especially with some of these smaller, the smaller companies that are focused on high quality and, and innovation and technology, um, they're starting to come up with some really cool ideas for, for traceability and ways to tell that story. Mm. I see. Um, Japanese, our average age are very old and there's no, uh, birth rate is very small. So um, generation shifting is not doing good in Japan, but I see this, COVID, many of the old people still don't know how to do, for example, like online um, meeting. Um, they become like non-functional, right? So I think um, this new, new generation, some are coming up um, to the field, to the decision-making field, um, who has more innovation, um, who is you know, more with the technology kind of thing. So that's our hope as well. Great. Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of this uh technology wise i think people are you know when it when something like this happens there's a major inconvenience in people's lives the advances in technology speed up rapidly and mm. they do they just blow up so i'm really 
I'm really excited, not just not even just with seafood, just in general to see kind of what comes out of this, uh, because human ingenuity, when we are mi- are even minorly inconvenienced, we will do whatever it takes to make things easy so we can be lazy again. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what what people come up with. <laughs> well, working at home allows us to be pretty lazy. <laughs> I'm sitting in a recliner chair as we speak. Yeah, true. I recorded my presentation earlier, as I said, and. I had to wear a, a tie and a jacket, but I was wearing blue jeans. <laughs> Don't let him kid you. He was wearing pajama pants. <laughs> um, Steve, do you have anything else? We're getting a little bit low on time, but we still um, have a little bit of time if anybody wants to chime in with anything else that they want to talk about. This has been a fantastic discussion, by the way. Yeah, I think you know, I think we covered a lot today. Um, and I, I really, I think it's, a lot of people, a lot of our people we work with at GAA, they're, they were excited about goal coming to Tokyo this year. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of people reaching out to us saying they can't wait. Uh, when we made the announcement in India, the, the gentleman sitting next to me was whispering to me, he goes, I think it's going to be Tokyo. I think it's going to be Tokyo. And as soon as, as soon as the announcement was made, he was like, yes, I was right. So I, I think there was a lot of excitement around it. So I think, you know, overall, you know, people are, are bummed out maybe but you know just postponing it for a year and i think everyone obviously understands that that's absolutely necessary so i think we're we're looking forward to 2021 and and i think uh you know we'll have even more of a story to tell because you know the, the thought process around picking tokyo for goal was it would be a great opportunity to talk about sustainable seafood after the olympics because so much of the pressure had been about, you know, meeting the requirements and, and doing this for the Olympic games, but it was, you know, we could have focused on now what, you know, how do we keep this moving? Uh, but now we've got even a bigger story. I mean, not to say the Olympics are an afterthought because they're still, you know, we hope they'd be very big and successful in 2021, but now we've got a story around recovery and innovation and how did we come out of this and, and how did we improve as an industry and, yeah, I just hope that, you know, 2021, when we come together in Japan, that we're going to be able to talk about all these things and and be able to see those type of innovations, what's happened in Japan. So to me, I'm excited. And I think uh, it's going to be an opportunity to be tough to make it through the rest of 2020 without being able to travel. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to see some exciting things in 2021. So, uh, san thank you very much for joining us today. You've been a great colleague, great friend. And it's good to see you. I, I wish everyone else could see us, but you know, I, I think everybody would love to hear what you had to say. Well, I think Maddie you, took a screenshot, so uh, they'll be able to see what we all look like. Well, Kao-san, before we sign off, what uh, what's your favorite go-to seafood dish? Favorite go-to seafood dish? Uh, yes, um, I've been eating at home for like two months. Didn't go, haven't been go, gone out for two months. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. I'm craving for yeah, uh, good sushi, beautiful sushi. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> and I probably haven't even had it yet because I've never been to Japan. So I, uh, I hope all this situation um, become better and everybody can come to, come to Japan. Sigaruni. Yes. Yep. So, well, Kaosan, I have one more yep. question as well, Sean, before we end. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you or have any questions, how can they do so? And and we're going to have in the show notes of this episode links to Seafood Legacy. We'll have your contact information if you're willing to have it in there and, and other links that we talked about throughout um, this episode. 
Um, but for our listeners, if yeah, they can so um, reach out to you, how, I'm how happy if you shared my like email address or our company some um, what email address. Yeah. Okay, and there's, there's probably a contact us page um, site that we can link. Will you be attending our virtual goal yep. conference? Very interesting. Yes, yes, I'd like to. Love to. All right. Well, if any of our listeners are interested in the virtual goal conference, we'll have some information about that linked in the show notes as well. Great, great. You know, this year is very different and it's new territory for us. And we're going to uh, make sure that we do the best we can to make it as good of an experience as possible. And I think in the uh, in the future, in a, in a few weeks, you can plan on listening to Steve Headland talk about that. Um, and then maybe he'll give a little more information about Tokyo next year. So we'll see. But thank you so much for joining us, Steve. You're a natural. <laughs> thank you very much. You're a fantastic guest host. We appreciate having both of you on here. Steve, thank you for staying up a little later. Well, Kyle, thank you for having joining us at a normal work schedule. And um, if you want to contact us, we'll, <laughs> we'll tell you how to do that in a little bit. But otherwise, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Folks, that was our conversation with Dr. Steve Hart and Wakao-san from Seafood Legacy. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. And we hope you're super excited to join us for our virtual goal conference this year and possibly join us in Tokyo next year after all the good things you've heard about what's going on in Japan. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Yeah, make sure to, if you like our content, leave us a five-star rating and a review. That's really how we get the word out there of the good stuff that we're doing here on the show. And a huge thank you to Steve and Makao-san for coming on the podcast. It was such a successful episode, and we look forward to going to Tokyo next year. Absolutely. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you are listening right now, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Ciao.